Water treatment professionals all over are getting certified in ASSE 12080. ASSE 12080 outlines the minimum qualifications needed, including knowledge and competency to become a member of a water treatment team involved in the development of a risk assessment analysis and the management and sampling plans for protection for Legionella and other waterborne pathogens. HC Info, the name you trust in Legionella assessment and management plans, is pleased to offer the best-in-class self-guided training course designed for you on your time. Go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash HC Info to receive an additional 7% off the already reduced price. Order now and receive the new ASSE 12080 exam study guide. This guide is your secret weapon to pass the exam. Get started today by going to scalinguph2o.com forward slash hcinfo. Hello, Scale It Up Nation. Trace Blackmore here, your host for the industrial water treatment industry's favorite podcast, Scaling Up H2O. I want to welcome you to the show I'm always so excited when I hear more and more people find that we industrial water treaters have a podcast of our very own. But you know what? I also hear from so many other people that they're not in the industry, but they enjoy listening to this show because we have so many topics on that allow people to become better, that allow people to think a little bit differently than they did before they started playing the episode. Folks, I think this is one of those episodes. So stay tuned. You are going to love my guest, a good friend of mine. I'm going to introduce him in a second, but I want to let you know about a couple of things that are going on in the industry. The Water Environment Federation continues to put on conferences virtually that just cover a wide array of items that you may be involved in in industrial water treatment. So if you go to our show notes page, we have got a list of all of those. And folks, you've heard me say on so many shows, when you put yourself out there into the environment where you're forced to learn something new, that's where you're going to start pushing yourself. That's where you're going to make yourself better. And the simple fact is, the brutal truth is we don't know what we don't know. When we physically put ourselves into situations that might even be uncomfortable, they allow us to grow they allow us to gain more knowledge. And the best part is they allow us to act differently because of the knowledge that we acquire. Now, speaking of knowledge, our friend James McDonald has been doing a great job of giving us just a little challenge each and every week, making sure that every week we're trying something new. So at the end of a year, we've done 52 new things. So here is James with another installment of James's Challenge. Hello, Scaling Up Nation. 
the next James's challenge as we grow as an industrial water treatment professional, drop by drop, is... Convert 300 milligrams per liter nitrite, expressed as NO2, to nitrite, expressed as NaNO2. The same chemical test can be expressed differently. If you don't take the time to pay attention to this little detail, your calculations, control ranges, treatment levels, and feed rates run the risk of being too high or low, which can lead to corrosion, scale, wasted chemical, and so forth. Make sure you pay attention to how test units are expressed and know how to convert between them. Be sure to share your experience on LinkedIn by tagging with hashtag JC21 and hashtag ScalingUpH2O. This is James McDonald, and I look forward to seeing what you share. So when are you going to do this challenge? I've really enjoyed watching the social media posts of people either posting about their challenges or even taking a picture and posting those. If you want to do that, and I sure hope you do because it gives me so much enjoyment, but I really think what it does is it inspires the entire Scaling Up Nation to take part in this. And we can see how each of us are carrying out the challenges that James gives us each and every week. And that's probably going to inspire us to do even more. So please post those. That's hashtag JC20 and hashtag ScalingUpH2O. Nation, my guest today is a friend of mine. You're going to hear all about that, but I guarantee you are going to learn so much from today's podcast. Here he is. Please welcome Danny Bauer of Better Leaders, Better Schools. My lab partner today is Danny Bauer of Better Leaders, Better Schools, and, and a great friend of mine. Danny, how are you today? I'm honored to be here, Trace. So uh, thanks for inviting me and a, a warm hello to Scaling Up Nation. Uh, glad to be here. Well, we are glad to have you here. And, and Danny, I don't mind telling you, I get people all the time that are impressed with all the things that I'm able to do during the day. But when I compare myself to you, oh my gosh, I cannot hold a candle. So I am super excited to learn all the tips and secrets, how I can become personally more productive. I think the Scaling Up Nation will too, but totally selfishly, I'm looking for me today. How, how do I get better? So I'm just joking. We're all going to learn together. But uh, I, I want the Scaling Up Nation to appreciate you as much as I appreciate you. And I don't think I'll do a good job if I do that introduction. Do you mind telling the nation a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Thanks. Thanks, Trace. Uh, I call myself a chief ruckus maker, you know, and Seth Godin's a, a mentor of mine. And, and he says, go make a ruckus. And that's, that's uh, something I've been doing ever since I've been learning from him. And so when I think of making a ruckus, I think of just being a out of the box, you know, leader making change happen in my spaces. And I, I come from a education background, you know, former classroom teacher, building principal, central office administrator, and now I uh, coach school leaders full time. And that's that's probably eighty five percent of my work. And then fifteen percent I work with some high level, you know, individual leaders, either working through just leadership stuff or. Uh, business, you know, culture, vision, that kind of 
good type of thing. So that's what I do. And uh, I've been living around the world for a few years. So uh, a very rewarding experience that helped me understand that there's not one way of doing anything. And it helped me question, just always question and really see life as an experiment, right? To, to test things um, before I have to trust it, you know, and just to learn from those experiments. And even if it was a failure, that's a win because you get better, right? So uh, that that global experience really opened up my horizons. I'm back home in upstate New York. And uh, yeah, so that that brings us to today. Yeah, before New York, you were in Scotland. Scotland, the Netherlands, uh, Belgium, so all over the place. Yeah, and it was it was really you know, I don't have many regrets. I didn't study abroad in college. I should have. I really think I should have. Uh, and fortunately, um, my wife is a super talented researcher, right? And she just wanted to explore uh, doing some research and, and working for a university overseas. And, I, and at that time, I was still in the school, to be true, Trace. So I said, you know what? Let me see if, if what I'm doing with the podcast and starting to work with some leaders, uh, if that could turn into the full-time gig. Uh, give me a year, and if I don't if I don't make it happen, then there's international schools, there's schools back home. You know, they're always going to need principals and teachers, so I know I could fall back on that. But what if it works, right? And and some I want scaling up nation even just to get from that story is, you know, I realize that I'm the bottleneck, and and I create an artificial ceiling on so many opportunities, and so how can you bust through that upper limit challenge? You know. Uh, and again, running life like it's an experiment and just trying to learn from it all, because what what if it succeeds? You know, not what if it fails, but what if it succeeds and things keep going well for me, right? I'm sure I'm going to, and I have, I've experienced failures uh, running my business, but um, overall, it's like that graph you want to see up and to the right. And so I'm just going to keep riding this wave for as long as I can. I love that. What if it succeeds? I remember a cartoon somebody shared with me once, and it was the coyote finally caught the roadrunner. And the caption said, now what do I do? <laughs> he's been he's been working so hard, right? And he finally caught that guy. Now what? Yeah, it's like, oh, man. So, and one thing, too, I talked to leaders, and maybe Scaling Up Nation can relate. You know, you, you set these uh, incredible goals. And the way I think about it, it's like this hill and you're running up the hill to get to this flag, which is the goal and you get there. And, and then you're like, now what? And I, I think the mistake that most leaders make is that they just start running up another hill towards another goal. Right. And not to uh, I'm not trying to say don't set big goals for yourself and, and do the hard work of achieving them. What I'm saying is when you get there, pause, celebrate reflect, you know, what happened in that moment uh, and, and really enjoy the fruits of your labor, right? Before off to the races again. So that's something I want to share with Scaling Up Nation as well. Well, something you just recently shared with me, and I don't know how I didn't know this, but you're writing a book on masterminds. So you have a goal to finish a book on that topic. And that's something that's near and dear to me. And that's how you and I met. We're in the same mastermind group. We are. We're a part of Iron Sharpens Iron. I'm, I'm working on that book. And I'll tell you what, so consistency is key to successful business, uh, offering value, understanding who, who your ideal client is and, and giving them exactly you know what they're saying they, they want. And then uh, from there, you can give them what you think they also need to, but you got to get your foot in the door. 
And anyways, I've just been out there shipping a show consistently, showing up to the masterminds I run, working with clients one-on-one and helping them you know, achieve what they didn't think was possible. And about a year ago, I think, it was just an uncanny experience, a couple big professional highlights. Literally every publisher in the education space approached me to do a book. <laughs> you know, it's like, what? Like, that's pretty wild. Because I, I have one that's out, but it was self-published. I wanted to move fast. I wanted to get it out there. And I just wanted to see what the experience was. And now again, connecting the dots back to life as an experiment, I want to see what it's like working with a publisher, right? What doors might open, what I might learn about the process, how it will make me a, a better writer, communicator, etc. And so I've been enjoying that. And so of all the all the publishers, I, I started putting out some uh, you know projects and 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 you know pitches of of what they might like as a book. Uh, and not all of them were accepted. Some of them were starting to go through the process. Uh, but one publisher specifically said, hey, we want to do a book on your work in school leadership through this uh, idea of a mastermind. And I said, OK, that's that's number one. I got to elevate that to the top of all the book lists, you know, book projects. And so I started writing. Yeah, writing a book on that. Um, and I, I've created, a, you know, I've identified the process. Right. Um, and I call it the ABCs of powerful professional development. And in my view, when you have an experience that is grounded in authenticity, belonging, and a challenging environment, that leads to life and leadership transformation, right? So the book just unpacks all those components, you know, um, and talks about how to incorporate them in, in sort of training and uh, gathering experiences to help leaders level up. And it's been a lot of fun. Well, let me get some self-help because one of the issues that that I always have, and, and you're a great guy to ask this question to, is, is I've experienced for years how wonderful being a member of a mastermind is. It's hard for me to take my experience and translate that to potential members of my mastermind, the Rising Tide Mastermind. Do you have that issue? How do you overcome that? Let me try to reflect back to you. So in terms of like the issue of uh, communicating to, to school leaders, um, I want to support through the mastermind and expressing the value of it. Is that is that what you're saying? Correct. You 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 and I are members of, of Iron Sharpens Iron. We know the value of it. Uh, we've worked some pretty big issues together and and we've had that experience. We can we can visualize that in, in our mind's eye. But when we're speaking with somebody, trying to explain exactly what a mastermind is and, and really why they need to join, I always feel I fall short on that description. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's hard to describe. It's one of those things like you get it once you experience it. You know, it's like riding a bike. You know, you look at the bike and you see that it, it falls down. It just has the two wheels. But you see, you know, you know, as a kid, right, all your friends might be already on one and they're making it work. And then you hop on and what happens, uh, most people don't start riding right away. They do fall too, right? Uh, but then at some point it clicks and it works, right? Because again, you, it's not that you had to trust that the bike would work. It's that you had to test, test it, right? And learn from your failures and, and make sure that experience would work for you. And Steve Chandler is an awesome coach. He taught me that idea, which I just shared with uh, Scaling Up Nation. But, you know, I, th- I think so people have to experience it. And I want to challenge members of Scaling Up Nation. If if you have been uh, testing the waters, you know you, you got a toe in the in the water, and you're thinking about it, dive in. I mean, what's 
what's the worst thing that could happen, right? Uh, if it's a terrible experience, which it won't be, you're going to learn something from that experience, even if it's just about yourself. But again, like we were talking about in here, uh, what if it what if it really works? What might be able to be accomplished within your personal life or professional? So that's one part, the challenge of just test it out. But secondly, you know, I think what I've found most effective in, in growing the mastermind, and uh, I'm, a, I'm a very uh, transparent guy. So there's, I think there's, there's 60 leaders um, in four cohorts, you know, there's 15 per group. And then I have a, a group for um, business folks in education. We call them entrepreneurs. Right now there's five in that group. So 65 total in five groups. And by sharing their stories, their wins, their transformation, then people seem to to get it, you know, a little bit more. Um, and, and so it's like, at first I used to think this, now I think this, right? That's showing the arc of transformation. Or I can share with Scaling Up Nation, when I joined Iron Sharpens Iron, uh, I had a podcast and an idea, and it was just starting off. And now because of the support, you know, I had to execute, I had to do the work, but getting the diverse perspective and point of view and challenges because it could be you know when you're on the hot seat like the heat gets turned up and you hear stuff um that's hard to hear at times right but if you can find the gold and the truth in there and then execute on it you'll see results so anyways fast forward a handful of years later millions of downloads on the podcast right it's the number one show for leaders in education the mastermind's full my thinking's bigger. I used to want to go from 60 school leaders to 120, right? And you guys challenged me to think bigger. And so then I started th- dreaming about 600. And then I started dreaming, that, you know, really, the goal is 1,200. And so we're on that path, right? Uh, but I never would have even dreamed that big without the challenge and the support of the group, you know? And I don't, I doubt would I have gotten the same results in terms of a million downloads, all the lives changed and that kind of thing as well, you know? So I mean, there's there's countless examples of that. And the fact, you know, I'm doing it full time too, right? Like, uh, it's not a side gig. It's not a hustle or a hobby. This is my profession, right? This is how I serve and it pays the bills and I have a great life. So that is a direct result of being in a mastermind. Yeah, you keep bringing up better leaders, better schools, as you should. But if the Scaling Up Nation is not familiar with that, can you let us know what that is? Yeah, it's just that's that's the business, right? Yeah, how I support school leaders. So anyways, that's the podcast, the blog. I've been doing work there since 2015. My tagline is like, everybody wins when a leader gets better. Everybody wins when you get better. And again, you know, I, I have that background in education. And so I never want to be fully out of education. So I do enjoy supporting business leaders and high-level leaders. But I'll never fully exit education just because, you know, I, I think it, it has so much hope and potential and it, you know, it develops communities. So anyways, that's that's why I always focus there as well. I love your core values. Do you mind sharing those with us? Oh, man, we have uh, a number of those. And so, you know, what I'd love to talk about, like, because I, I have stuff like, uh, lead like Madiba, who's Nelson Mandela, or take the leap, or rule number six. And and what I want to talk about in terms of core values is that integrity, honesty, I don't know, authenticity, this kind of stuff. Like in some respects, we all expect that from a business, 
And not only that, it's not remarkable, right? So again, going back to Seth Godin, he wrote a book called Purple Cow. Well, that that in a title sounds interesting, right? And the the idea there is that you're driving through some rural area, a lot of farmland, you're going to see cows at some point, right? And they're going to have black and white spots or brown and white spots. You you most likely are not going to see a purple cow. If you saw one, Trace, you would tell everybody, right? Without a doubt. Yeah, it's remarkable. Like, what is a purple cow doing there, you know? And so when it comes to core values, I want them to be what I call sticky core values. So if it's uh, take the leap or lead like Madiba or rule number six, right out of the gate, you probably don't really know what's going on there, right? And what I hope to do is to engage you in some curiosity, almost uh, create an open loop. Like, what does that mean? And then you can tell a story behind one of those core values. And through uh, telling that story, you know, it, it becomes a memorable experience. And I think it just connects at a much higher level, you know, with with your company, with the clients you serve, with your marketing, all this kind of stuff, if, if that's uh, resonating with you. But something, you know, even more important to me than, than sticky core values is this idea of a personal philosophy. And that is like a five to 10 word phrase. I, I don't remember if you were in the actual um, meeting with Iron Sharpens Iron when I walked us through that process. But I learned it from uh, Dr. Michael Gervais and uh, Coach Pete Carroll of the Seahawks. And essentially, a, a personal philosophy is a five to 10 word phrase that you could recite on command. And it's going to serve you, especially when the times are tough, right? Because, Trace, I'm sure you can attest to this leadership is actually easy when things are going well because <laughs> everything's running smoothly. But that's not the case for most days. Stuff's going to happen. Challenges are going to arise. And in that moment, do you have a North Star that's going to help you be pulled through that challenging time? Viktor Frankl, the author of Man's Search for Meaning, says, man is pushed by his drives, but pulled by his values, right? So, and I think a personal philosophy could be substituted there. So anyways, mine is uh, four or five words long. Uh, Be an intentional catalyst, right? That's what I want to be. That's my personal philosophy. Because what I realized, joining you here on the podcast, talking to Scaling Up Nation, I am going to be a catalyst, right? That could be for good or for bad. Like Uncle Ben said in Spider-Man, right? Uh, you, You have great power comes great responsibility. And I just realized when I'm in rooms and in spaces, my energy... Uh, absolutely changes the room for better or worse. And I've seen it both ways. And I always leave frustrated and ashamed when I've screwed up that energy, you know, and I can, I can see how I impacted it that way. So when I meditate and think about and recite being intentional catalyst as a part of my morning routine, uh, that serves me well. And when I don't have enough buffer time in my schedule, or somebody says something that's triggering for me, usually around politics or race, I have to remember and rely on that being intentional catalyst because how do I want to impact this space in this time? Now, the nice thing is it does bubble up. It's like a gentle nudge, a reminder. That doesn't mean I always act on it. There's times where I totally ignore it and I turn into the worst version of myself. I'm working at letting that guide my actions the majority of the time. So I find it very useful. 
Well, thanks for sharing that. Uh, I also agree that having, I call it a personal mission statement. Right. And mine is to end each day knowing it was better than the last. Mm. And, and I know if I just do one, 1% better, and, and of course, uh, we know from the book Atomic Habits that 1% uh, course correction leaving from LAX going to New York won't put you in New York. Where is it going to put you? Yeah, you, you might end up, I think it was in D.C. is how Yeah, James just off clear. of 1%. So you think yeah. if I don't have time to improve today or I'm focusing on all of these bad things that have transpired today, but there was that one thing that I did a little bit better than yesterday and that what allows me to say, you know what, I can put a check mark on the day and move on with the next one. Yeah, yeah. And speaking of atomic habits, just the other thing that I remember from James's work as well, the author, is that uh, if you get 1% better every single day, he did the math, you end up being at the end of the year 37x times better, right? So, you know, just think about that. I've, I've considered starting something called the 37% Club, right? And, and just, <laughs> you know, uh, scaling up nation, don't steal the idea. But anyways, if you take action, right, and just get a little bit better, like you're talking about every single day, and you end the year 37 times better, like, that's worth it. That's a, that's a really sound investment. Well, let's talk about productivity. I started off the podcast with, I, I am just so impressed with uh, how productive you are, how focused you are. Uh, when, when you're a person, Danny, when you say, I'm going to do this, 100%, it's going to get done. And not everybody can say that. I want to talk about productivity and what are some of the tools that you use that some of the rest of us can start using? Yeah, well, you know, I think you invited me onto the show too. Uh, you saw an article I wrote on, on Medium and I was playing around with this idea of five questions you can ask to be more productive. And it's, it's not my original idea. This one comes from Rory Vaden. And it comes from a book that I, I love. Actually, I was exposed to this. So here's another plug for the mastermind is that we read Procrastinate and Purpose in Iron Sharpens Iron in 2015. And then I brought that book to my group, right? And they read it and they benefit from it. And it's still paying dividends today. So in Procrastinate on Purpose, like what a title, isn't that great? He shares this, um, this graphic called the focus funnel. And I'm going to diverge just for a second. It's a process, right? And just like sticky core values, they are memorable when they're constructed uh, elegantly. I hope the ABC is a powerful professional development in the space of education becomes remarkable as well. Because, you know, education, ABCs, I, I could see that working. But the focus funnel, I've had that memorized for six years and I haven't invented it. So that's the point of designing an elegant process, being able to communicate it is because it, it really just connects with people, you know, when you create that. So anyways, the focus funnel is basically like you get a task that comes across your desk, your inbox, it's part of your goals or whatever, and it's just five questions. It's a filtering system whether you should do the task or not. And most people probably get a task and they think, do I do it or not, right? And that's about as far as they go. Well, the focus funnel... The first question is, is can I eliminate the task, right? And for many leaders, like even when I'm coaching one-on-one, -on -one, right? Like questions that seem so elementary. What, what would you do if this were easy, right? Or what's the next smallest step towards this very large goal that you have? That normally gets the momentum you need, you know? Uh, but we sometimes miss these very obvious questions. So you have a task. 
do you have to do it? You can eliminate it. Like many, many tasks uh, you can just not do, right? Uh, they don't produce value. They might be busy work, whatever. And so anyways, can I eliminate it? After that in the focus funnel is uh, can you automate it, right? And so an example of that is is maybe you use an app um, for a long time I used for scheduling called Calendly, you know, and that just lets people pick times and sends them an email. Uh, I use ConvertKit when I'm, I'm sending emails to my community, you know, and so this is uh, one way to be more efficient and productive at scale. And so those are a couple of examples of automation. Uh, in my personal life, we have a Roomba, right? My wife loves it. So I love the Roomba too. Bam, you know, program it, hit the button. It's cleaning for you. You don't have to clean. Oh, Trace, this changes my life. Yeah, and you just got a dog. That Roomba's coming in handy. It, it is. And you know, it's funny, like on episode 200 of the, the show, Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, I had my wife interview me. And just because this was kind of fun, so you might steal this, Scaling Up Nation might like it. It was just for the, the Ruckus Maker audience to hear uh, what it's like maybe living with me, you know, because they have this sense of like what Danny Bauer's like. So who is this guy at home? And it was so funny, since we're talking about cleaning, my wife tells, tells everyone, like tens of thousands of people. She says, when you clean, Danny, it's like you're just pushing dirt around. Ouch. <laughs> oh, you know, that's why I have to invest in tools like a Roomba because I'm evidently not a very good cleaner. So eliminate, can I eliminate it? Can I automate it? After that is, can I delegate it? And uh, people get delegation wrong quite a bit. They, they think it's just like, hey, I'm handing this off to somebody else. Getting it off my plate is the phrase often used. And that's kind of like abdication. Like you're just like, okay, I'm not doing this anymore. That's a recipe for disaster. So to delegate effectively, make sure that there's a, a lot of training, maybe some sort of process document, regular check-in times to provide feedback on the quality of a task. So eliminate, automate, delegate. And at this point, now is where you decide, do I need to do this or not, right? And so can you procrastinate? Just like elimination, it's perfectly okay to punt something down the road because it just might not be a priority, right? So if you procrastinate on it, you put it back to the top of the filter, and then eventually you work the steps again, eliminate, automate, delegate, right? And what I've found is on tasks I procrastinate, you know, a couple times on, I realized, you know what, the real answer, I can eliminate it. You know, that's what I've found. And so, in, and finally, the last question, if you can't procrastinate, you have to concentrate, right? So that's, that's how the focus funnel works. Yeah, it's a great concept. I, I'm amazed at myself and other people I talk with that the fact that we can eliminate a task never comes into our minds. We have to remind ourselves that that's an actual option. And, and you can go, you know, like the five whys uh, people talk about asking too. And so I'm reading a, a book called The Goal. Have you ever read this book? Yes. Yes. I recognize the cover. I, I have done that. Yeah. So uh, it looks like Eliahu uh, Goldrot, and I might, I might be pronouncing his name wrong, but this is, um, it says 6 million copies sold. It's like one of those like business books everybody should read. And again, I'm, I'm coaching uh, these, these uh, entrepreneurs in education. And none of them are, you know, in a manufacturing sort of factory model plant. And so the connection might be hard to, to understand, but it's about efficiencies and this other kind of stuff. But the one idea that I took away, and that's my approach to getting better too, is, you know, if I do an experience, 
what's at least one idea I can take away from it and take action on that's going to help me improve? And that, you know, connect the dots to the 1% better. That's how you get that 37 times better at the end of the year. So from the goal, it's testing the assumptions. The reason the factory wasn't efficient and profitable, they were operating on the wrong assumption of how factories should work, right? And so, again, with a task, we just assume that it needs to be done, especially if somebody who's uh, maybe you're collaborating with or whatever has some kind of clout, or maybe they're even above you within your organization. But if you start digging in, why are we doing this task? What's it for? These are questions Seth Golden asks. Who's it for? What's it for? And you really start you know, identifying, what's the point of this? If you get very uh, candid, you probably might not even have to do it, you know? So one of the keys to my productivity is just getting clearer to clearer what matters and what doesn't. And I just, I tend to ignore the stuff that doesn't matter. And I just learn to be okay with that. Danny, on the episode that I shared with the nation the first of this year, I shared how I plan the tasks that I'm going to do. So we've now decided on all the things that I was going to do today And I went through how I prioritize them. So if I just get one or two done, I feel really good about it. What's your process with that? I use a system called objectives and key results. And actually, I mean, honestly, I've put together a number of models. So there's this focus funnel. There's the get things done. There's the 12-week year, which I know you're a proponent of. Love the 12-week year. Yeah, yeah. And so I think Scaling Up Nation, another book you could look at, Uh, Measure What Matters, John Doerr, and he's talking about objectives and key results. So I'm very clear on what my uh, vision is for the next three years, and I have a process I teach on on that. And then I break down those three-year goals into sort of like quarterly benchmarks, right? So I have five objectives that I'm working on, and then the key results uh, underneath there. And essentially, What's going to be at the top of the priority list are only the tasks related to those goals, right? So that's what gets 85% of my attention, you know? And then 10% of my time is showing up and running masterminds, doing coaching sessions and that kind of stuff. And then 5% is more the administrative and other requests, you know, for my time. So the way I prioritize it is it's a simple question. Is this related to one of my objectives or not? And if it's not, that boom drops way down, way down the list, if it even makes the list. And then the other thing that I do to hold myself accountable, and this is a 12-week year practice, is that I, I score myself, right? So I score myself each day only on the tasks related to my biggest objectives and if I completed them or not, right? So I don't score the tasks that need to get done just to keep the lights on for the business. But again, those tasks related to, to my uh, biggest goals. And that's simple. You know, if there's three tasks for a day, four tasks for a day, what's that score out of three or four? And I, I keep count of that. And what I've learned, 12-week year says 85%, but I actually have learned if I, if I execute at above 80%, then I'm good. I, I, I get a lot more done than I think was ever possible. And so that's my benchmark. And so uh, also don't get bogged down in the day, right? Warren Buffett, he's not looking and Charlie Munger, you know, they're not they're not looking every single day at the stock prices going up and down cuz that would lead to like stress, anxiety and heart attack, you know? Like it's just you can't control it. But if you zoom out and look at a longer, you know, period of time, a quarter, 
a year or whatever, then you can know if, if, if you're really trusting the process or not. So what I'm trying to say is that uh, I don't throw a pity party or beat myself up if I have a, a low performing day. But if at the end of the week and certainly at the end of the quarter, uh, if I'm under 80%, which rarely happens, then I need to get uh, very honest with myself. So I, lo- I try to keep focused on the big picture, even though I'm measuring the micro. That's a great way to look at that. One of the concepts in 12-week year is time blocking. Yeah. Well, let, let's share with the nation what time blocking is and how do you use it? Oh, man. This is another episode. Let's say we're just going to be to be continued. Yeah. In certain, in, you know, just, yeah, simple terms. Time blocking is just working in batches of time with a singular focus. You can't multitask. If you think you can, you're full of baloney. The research shows that it's impossible. Even some researchers, I think it was, it was maybe Stanford. It was a West Coast university. They had an assumption like, oh man, kids that grew up with technology, they can certainly multitask at a very high level. And what they found is like, nope, it makes them dumb. Like it literally makes them dumber. <laughs> they, they looked at their uh, ability to uh, perform like certain tasks and the multitaskers perform the worst. So don't do that. So uh, uh, time blocking is working for a, a batch of time on a singular focus. Luckily, since I do what I do, right, I'm my own boss, I have a deep work block time um, every day. But uh, an easy small step would be at least one deep work block time per week for 90 minutes. If you get up to three hours, that's great. And what you'll find is that, you know, gifting yourself that deep work time, you're going to get so much more done, right, throughout throughout a week. But you, you could batch anything. It could be, so I have specific times when I check email. One's right after lunch and one's at the end of the day. Because if you have it open all the time, I'm sorry, you're just not going to save the world. You're not going to run the best business or whatever if you're always in your inbox responding to what, whatever activity is in there. Danny, I want to stop you because I think that is the best piece of advice that has ever been given on the Scaling Up H2O podcast. So many people cannot have any sort of deep thought or, or any 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 continuous thought because pling something comes up in their inbox and immediately they're over in that rabbit hole that is awesome advice well and you made the noise too so scaling up nation if you have your notifications on turn them off like literally when you're done with this podcast i challenge you to do a couple things turn off notifications I keep my phone on silent, period. I I have an Apple Watch, so if the phone rings, I can see who's calling and decide if I want to answer or not. But there's zero notifications on my phone. The phone is always on silent. There's no notifications on my computer because all this stuff is just garbage. It's literally designed to uh, take your focus away from whatever important stuff you're doing to be either in email or on a social media app or whatever, because they profit. They profit from the advertisements that are on there. And they have neuroscientists, a a team of them, a cadre of neuroscientists who are paid to keep you on these platforms. And so if you think you have the mental, I know I don't have the mental strength to say no, so I turn it off, right? If you know you're going to be tempted by whatever, then it only uh, is reasonable to not put yourself in the position to be tempted. So notifications off, phone, computer. And if you want to go like black belt level, take it off your phone. Well, let's play devil's advocate with that for a, a second. 
Because I know there's somebody out there that's saying, wait a second, a client's trying to get a hold of me. I must get back with them. Yeah, and I'm so important. Well, I mean, you got an executive assistant, right? So I bet a lot of people in Scaling Up Nation have a team, right? So if you have a team, then you could rely on them. That could be a part of their job function to look for the emergencies. But what I realized too, right? Let's put it in the frame that I know, uh, operating a school. Safety of our kids is the number one priority, right? You're there to educate them, but of course they have to be safe. And sometimes bad things happen at school. Well, if there's a real emergency, they're going to call you. They're going to call you or text you, right? And again, you know, I have my Apple Watch, and so I'd see those things. But if it's a major, major emergency and they're only trying to reach you through email, I mean, come on. That's a great point. That's a really good point. Yeah, they're going to find a way to get a hold of you. And I think it's just a, it's also an activity of ego. Like it feels good to know that, that, that there's activity going on, uh, that people want you and need your help and have questions. And to be completely honest and challenging to scaling up nation, scrolling through email inbox and social media, it's just a distraction from the harder, more emotional labor that's going to provide greater value for your business and clients, period. So focus on that stuff versus the frantic activity that you're not even going to remember, right, 10 years from now versus like the amazing stuff that you built, you know? So what are you trying to do? That's all I'm saying. That's just fantastic advice. I can't wait to ask this next question. Everything else has been just incredible. I'm curious, what's the one thing you want to get across today? The one thing that I want to get across, Scaling Up Nation, I stole this idea from Rich Litvin, and he says, you know, I help powerful people remember how powerful they are, right? And and so I just want everybody listening to understand how much incredible impact and influence your work and your leadership, you know, has on your community, your clients, your family. And and like my personal philosophy, just understand how you impact that energy and that environment because people are counting on you. I love that. You know, when you say that, I think of the wake that you leave and you referred to that when we first started this show. Danny, I have to tell you, you have left an amazing wake behind you on this podcast. And I think this is the one of the most inspiring podcasts that I've ever had the pleasure of hosting an interview on. And I can't wait to try some of the things that you've shared with us today. But I'm not quite done with you yet. I've got some lightning round questions. So it really can go either way from this point. <laughs> okay, sounds good. All right. So your first question, you have the ability to go back in time and talk with your former self as an education leader. What advice would you give yourself? Do I get to pick how far back I'm going? Uh, Your first day. My first day, school leader. What advice? I don't know how to explain this um, really well, but basically... You just have to investigate, like take people at the word, but, but investigate too. You know, um, I, I remember getting burnt when a staff member said she was talking on behalf of the entire staff. And so I, I pivoted and I changed something in the school culture. And basically the majority of school revolted because they loved what we were doing. And I was like, dang it. I, I believe this um, leader, you know, she was a respected member of the faculty, but man, that, that messed me up. And, uh, that was embarrassing. So I would say, you know, just listen, but then investigate, you know. 
All right. Good advice. I normally ask this question of my guests, what are the last few books that they've read? But you are an incredible reader, and, and, and you're one of those people that can take a book and, and digest it and give people handles to actually go out there and do something with what you've read. So my question that I'm going to change just for you is, what are the top books, I don't know, maybe the top three, top five that you think everybody needs to read? Victor Frankl, The Man's Search for Meaning. I already uh, quoted him today. Amazing that he could have survived the Holocaust and concentration camps and, and have an incredible outlook. Yeah, just the way he approached life despite the most challenging times. And how can I ever throw a pity party for myself, right? So just so impactful there. Um, the Art of Possibility by Ben Zander and Rosamund Stone Zander. Uh, that's basically 12 practices that will help you be a success in life and leadership. Uh, you know, earlier I talked about sticky core values, rule number six. I, I, I took it from that book. And they have stuff like uh, given A. Um, I mean, there's 12 different practices. Read that one. If you're an audio book listener, listen to it. Because uh, Ben Zander uh, is a conductor, or he was, for the Boston Philharmonic um, Orchestra. And so they they put some classical music in between sort of bookmarks or chapters, you know, and so it just, it has a nice feel and, and both of them read the book too. Uh, and they're just great storytellers. And so, and then the third, so I said, um, man's search for meaning, the art of possibility. And, and the third one that I absolutely love, you know, Seth Godin's, um, this is marketing is really great. And it, it, to me, it kind of summarizes a lot of what he's been saying over the years. And I just find that that book so inspirational. It gets into so much. Like, of course, there's marketing stuff, but it's really about empathy and storytelling and understanding that community you serve uh, so you can give them your best. So those three would be a great place to start. When Hollywood writes the script about Danny Sunshine Bauer, who do they get to play you? Man, I'm hoping like, I don't know. I'll, I'll go with uh, George Clooney. I, I, I like him. That'll be fine. My last question, you now have the ability to speak with anybody throughout history. Who would it be with and why? Anybody in history. I would speak to my biological father, and I never had the opportunity to talk to him. And so talk to him as, as dad and son. So I'd like to do that. Danny, this has been just an awesome interview. I've, I've learned a lot. It's been a true pleasure having you on the show. And you and I get to, of course, see each other every Tuesday evening. But for the Scaling Up Nation that they just can't get enough of Danny Bauer, how can they find more of you? Yeah, betterleadersbetterschools.com. Uh, there's the podcast. You'll see that one. Daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com is my email. And basically on all social media, LinkedIn is Daniel Bauer. But on Twitter, Instagram, it's at Alien Earbud which is an anagram for my name, Daniel Bauer. So you take the letters, mix them up, and you get alien earbud, which I think is kind of like a funny picture of an alien, you know, with his AirPods in there. So anyways, yeah, get a hold of me that way. And if I could serve your organization, talk about leadership, productivity, culture, vision, that kind of stuff, sticky core values, uh, yeah, hit me up. I'd, I'd love to come in, speak, or coach, train, workshop, whatever, however I could serve. Well, thank you for coming on Scaling Up H2O. Trace, thanks for having me. Scaling Up Nation, be well. 
Nation, I told you at the top of the show that this was one of those shows where you were going to learn something. Whether you were an industrial water treater or not, you came away from listening to that interview with, I bet, half a dozen things that you can try right now. I know I wrote down a bunch of books that I am going to make sure that I add to my reading list. You know, one of the books that he mentioned was The Goal. Uh, It's a fable-type book, a process of an ongoing improvement. And that book was given to me by our good friends at Aquaphoenix. I went up and visited Aquaphoenix before they moved to their new facility. And it's even more impressive to see them now in their new facility. But I was so impressed with all of the little things that they put into place that allowed their team to communicate effortlessly with each other, that would solve a problem that they were able to identify and then totally take it out of the equation so that wasn't a problem again. It was just an amazing tribute to how a team could come together and work in an efficient manner while making sure that they were friendly, they were enjoying each other's company. I just truly was amazed. And I asked so many questions about how they got to that point. And I took a lot of notes too. And one of the gifts that they sent me, I go up to visit them and they send me a gift for dropping by. Uh, Again, great guys at Aquaphoenix. They sent me the gift, that book, it's called The Goal. And they said that was one of the first things that they read to put things into perspective. And as Danny mentioned, how many times do you look at a problem and you solve what you think the problem is? Danny and I were speaking earlier before we started recording, and he mentioned a book to me called Dream Manager. And there was a case study in that book where people of a janitorial company weren't showing up for work. And of course, the owners are thinking, well, the people are lazy. Well, folks, that wasn't it at all. The issue was they didn't have transportation to get there. So when they started putting resources around solving that problem, and I think what they did was they actually started purchasing buses, they had so much buy-in They had a team that was so high-performing, and it was because they examined the issue and not just looked at what was on the surface. So the next time you have an issue, and trust me, it's not going to be long. We all have plenty of issues. The next time you're trying to solve a systemic issue, don't just start to solve it. Spend more time trying to figure out exactly what that issue is and what the root cause of that issue is. That ensures that all the work you're doing to solve it is going towards the right issue. And when you solve the right issue, you've really solved it once and for all. Nation, what do you think about Danny having an anagram of his name as his email address? Alien Earbud. Uh, that's a real visual. I, I definitely agree with him there. So I was curious. I went to anagrammer.com. You can go there too. You can type your name in 
and it will give you as many anagrams as you want to tell it to give you. So after going to the site and typing in Trace Blackmore, here you go. Drum roll, please. Rockable Mercat. I don't know. Maybe I'll introduce myself next week on the show as Rockable Mercat. I don't know if that's a good enough visual as, uh, as Danny had, but that might be something fun to try. I tell you what, I picked up so much that I cannot wait to start doing from today's podcast. And I hope you do too. I hope that you get something, at least one thing each and every week that you can do that makes you just that 1% better or inspires you to do something to become that 1% better. Maybe we can become part of Danny's 37 Club if we do that. So Nation, lots of references today, lots of books, lots of things to try. I know most of us are driving around. Don't worry, we've got you covered. Keep your hands at 10 and 2 because we have got everything on our show notes page. Simply go to scalinguph2o.com and you will see every book that Danny mentioned today. Now, if you have a show idea, since you're already on the website, go ahead and click over to show ideas and let us know what that is. I'll make sure I will take your idea, I will turn it into a brand new show, just like I'm going to do next week when you join me on Friday. Until then, have a great week, folks. Folks, you've heard me talk about the Rising Tide Mastermind and the success that all the people that are members of the Rising Tide Mastermind are enjoying. But I know you're wondering, what are the reasons that people join? So here is Michelle Farmery to tell you why she joined. Why did I join the Rising Tide Mastermind? That one is simple. I feel like I always have a million things going on in my life always constantly juggling this thing or that thing you know at work I often say that I wear 16 different hats you know I'm, I'm wearing one hat taking it off and putting another one on and so I sit there and I oftentimes feel overwhelmed I, I feel like even when I accomplish something I still feel like a hamster in a wheel just constantly going and not appreciating the the accomplishments that I have and so I joined the, the Rising Tide Mastermind because I thought it would be a good way of taking a new approach and a new direction with how I, I aim to achieve my goals and how I can better utilize my time to accomplish more and, and feel successful both in a business and professional setting. Michelle, thank you so much for sharing with the Scaling Up Nation why you joined the Rising Tide Mastermind and what you get out of the Rising Tide Mastermind. Folks, let's face it, we all wear so many hats. Being a water treater is not an easy job, but when you can talk with other water treaters about issues you're having, both in business and in personal, you are able to get to the next level faster. One of the things that we do in the Rising Tide Mastermind is we urge each other to take the next step. And then we hold each other accountable to make sure we're doing the right things in order to get there. 
Go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash mastermind to find out more about the Rising Tide Mastermind and to see if this is a group that's right for you. I urge you to find a group of peers that will make sure you are taking the right steps to get to the next level.